require personalized programming, we have our team of Red Pill coaches available to help you with your performance needs, regardless of your competitive level. Please get in touch at redpilltraining.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Pill Podcast. We are talking the talk. Talking the talk. Or we might be walking the talk. It might be more relevant to be walking the talk. Yeah. There's a lot of misconception out there, isn't there? Well, I think... <laughs> All right. A I misused word. I think, um, I think it depends on whereabouts you are in the world. I think if you're above uh, average intelligence... Um, and working <laughs> working professionally within sport I don't think there is much misunderstanding of what talk is I think if you're um, yeah I think if you're trying to set a concept somewhere then there probably is a misconception of talk um, I would quite like to just help people get through the the apparent misunderstandings or, or whatever it, whatever they may be um, about talk and, and have it from a scientific point of view. I know we've got a lot of reading, a lot of papers um, and talk about talk. About talk. Uh, why it is important we have an understanding of it, what it's, a, what it's, what its role is as coaches, what, how, we, how it's researched and how it's developed. And then, and I don't see the need to, to talk about how it's been conceptualized, but just sort of just mention that it, it's unfortunately, it's just like anything else, which is, which is good. It's being conceptualized and trying to be put in a package and sold as something it's not. Um, so we're just going to sort of have a look at what, what talk is. Um, and I think you're going to do a little bit of a more detailed introduction. I know I just like to start off by saying that sort of it's just energy. Um, and my the example we use on the seminars, the example I always often use is, is, it's, is if you fire water through a, through a tube, um, the, the, it creates energy you know you take what you take energy waves generate energy and the movement of the water through a tube generates a certain amount of energy and it makes a certain amount of pressure against against the outside of that tube and with no sort of imagine a tube with no water in it uh, versus being pumped at a, a, a high rate of, of water is the, the, the amount of energy being produced the amount of uh, tension being felt against the walls of the tube is constituted as the amount of energy that the the, the water is is producing um, so this is sort of the basic introduction I'll just hand over to you bud to, to let you give us a little bit more of a detailed uh, explanation so the scientific definition of torque is a torque acting on a body is created by a force acting a distance away from the axis of rotation. So the axis of rotation, if we were just going to talk in the gym setting, the axis of rotation in a bicep curl is obviously the elbow because that is where the force needs to be distributed across the joint. Obviously, there's many different types and classes of levers, which will all change where where those torque momentums are. Um, but yeah, that's that's what a torque is. And then the forces are the key component within this whole torque concept. Without the forces, there can't be a torque. 
So uh, run us through what those uh, forces are, buddy. So the the forces, you've got different types of for- forces. So we've got non-contact forces and we've got contact forces. The one constant and which cl- classed as the non-contact force is gravity, yeah. which is obviously always acting upon us at a constant rate. Just obviously varies on how it acts upon us dependent on our position in space and time. So if we are a swimmer in a pool, gravity is acting through our body differently because we're now horizontal versus if we're stood upright, working as a field sport athlete, or yeah, we're in the gym, etc. So that's our first first non-contact, for, well, our, the non-contact force, then the contact forces is obviously ground reaction force. So most most sports we are reacting with, yep, yeah, we're feet are on the ground, so we've we've got a resistance to overcome, um, to push against whilst we're squatting, or to decelerate whilst we're sprinting, or continue continue that sprint. We've got joint reaction forces, which obviously the leverage of our of our levers, so our bones, um, will create a different. Well, those those levers meet at a point, which is the joint, which is the knee, which is the hip. Depending on the the length of those levers, will will change that that joint response. Um, we've got friction, so friction is a force uh, for the gym. Friction of a sled push. We've got gravity acting down through the sled. We've got the ground reacting up into the into the sled as we are then obviously going to try and push that sled horizontally across the floor so um, that's where those there's another type of force uh, fluid resistance so your analogy of uh, water running through pipes that same fluid resistance air air is classed within so kind of resistance of a medium so fluid resistance in a swimmer um, the resistance of the air uh, when we're throwing a ball that would be another that's the kind of yeah resistance component there inertial force which is a very big important one because there's a huge in human movement the inertia that's created on the body whilst running um, which actually then leads to a lot of muscular contraction um, and then muscle force yes the, the muscles can can overcome can create talks but we're going to talk about the instances of we're going to go into a little bit more depth on that because that's obviously the the huge kind of component that where a focus of of how we increase the force the body can cope with by trying to create muscle force um so yeah we're going to go into more detail on that and then uh, elastic force um so yeah an elastic band how we stretch an elastic band get some stored energy in that to allow that elastic band to explode obviously that is relative to the connective tissue within the body the tendons ligaments and muscles so muscular contraction as well muscular contraction basically cool buddy I think the um I think the interesting thing with there's many it's a difficult podcast this one because there's, there's there is so it's such a big topic there's so many ways we could go down now we can go through the <coughs> we go in the biomechanical we can go the biomechanical route and as you're as you're going there and start really talking about 
how these forces have uh, influences on bone movement, bone motions, how we can go down the muscular route and how muscles respond into those bone motions. We can go down the, um, we can go down the length tension relationship. This ends sometimes in length tension relationships. We can go down the, there's so many ways and we're going to try and cover as many as possible. This might just be two podcasts. Um, I know we, the, just both of us looking at it. One thing that's really interesting with some research uh, into tour, and it's something, it's something we've known for a while, but, but a lot of uh, a lot of research behind uh, measurements of torque and understanding of, of torque within exercise are done um, are actually done quite poorly. Um, not through uh, a, a lack of willing or ability of the of the researcher or the team. It's more the the technology available for us for measuring torque. I think that a lot of the a lot of the research has been done, although needs its credit, also has to be very taken very much with a pinch of salt. Quite currently, I mean, I've literally just finished reading uh, a digital human modelling um, paper, which is six hundred pages, um, essentially explaining why measuring torque is impossible. Um, now there are measurements of torque, and there are very crude measurements of torque. But one particular example in the journal is that you have, and this is this is done with imaging. This is done with like a laser, laser guided um, points trying to get onto the right axes of motion within the hip, and they're doing it through imaging. So you you're seeing bone, and they're they're using lasers to pinpoint it, and the the the, the, the variances in findings from one millimeter difference um and in and, and they go into a lot more detail in, in the modeling procedure here um just in, in in sort of the half millimeters and quarter millimeters are are altering the final output by by many many percentages and we're talking about this is the high end this this i mean this these are these are guys who are trying to find effective ways to measure torque within the body and set set tall so so i think a lot of the strength and conditioning papers that have been written are one on very low cohorts they're very small they're very small um they're very small cohort groups they're they're done using external torque measurements um they're not using imagery they're not using image guided uh, torque measurement systems they're this is so there is a huge validity and reliability issues and again this is not me attacking their studies this is me just saying you know it, we have to take everything that's coming with with a pinch of salt um because the the measurement procedures at the moment just simply aren't good enough to get the results we want to with the body and i think why I, why i bring this up and why it's important that the strength and conditioning coaches or, or the coaches out there are, are hearing this is that you know, many articles, and when I say article, I don't mean published articles, I mean newspaper, online articles, journal, sort of sort of social reading articles have been written based off of these texts. And what tends to happen, uh, unfortunately, in the tends to happen in, in, in the fitness world is we tend to sort of say, oh, it was written in a paper. And as long as it was written in a research paper somewhere at some point, it's sort of the gold standard and it's, it's accepted. Ev- it's accepted and yeah. it's evidence-based practice. Um, and there's very few people that then go, okay, let's look at the reference, dig into the reference and go further back and end up end up somewhere. 
Um, and, and as you and I love to do, we, we like to follow that paper trail. And when you follow those paper trails on things like length, tension relationships, things like uh, actual talk, things like hip talks and stuff like that, and you follow the paper trail down, they end back with studies that conclude themselves with this needs a lot more work. Uh, and, and a lot of the authors of those studies then write articles for public media based around their study and their, their studies themselves are, are sort of so well balanced and so well written and they're so well sort of so well stated um, that you know it's a start place and it is only a start place and it's a, a low amount of people we, we've tested and we need to do a lot more work and they do they sort of write it perfectly and the, the diligence of it is perfect to get it through a, a medical board or get it through a a review board but then the articles from the same authors online uh, for for popular magazines etc are sort of almost blase yep you're just doing this and we've proved it in our research and, and no one seems to question that um, and I think that's something that, that we need to do I think something we need to be seen to be doing um, with things like EMG I'm going to do an EMG today we're going to do another podcast at some point on muscle activation and measuring muscle activation um, and when muscles are firing etc um, but just on the talk aspect of things you know we've we've got pay, measuring talk is, is nigh on impossible within the body uh, accurately well I mean just finishing on that point you or adding to that point that you said there on EMG studies that we need to look into EMG studies I think that is often the common misconception or the way talk has been missold is people are talking about that muscular force or the EMG activity that you are or you are feeling tension therefore you are creating talk and that's that's how it seems to have been packaged within the within the fitness industry right now yeah yeah that's the fundamental difference of like emg versus talk are two completely separate topics yeah i mean i think i think the the, just just yeah so we're going to move on but just to say that the 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 greatest amount of emg activity you could ever get for any muscle is standing and squeezing it as hard as you can um, and so, so I have, of course, there's always, there's always, I, with gravity, I have a relationship to the ground. Uh, that's why I'm standing up. So there's always some kind of stored energy. There's always some sort of kinetic energy laying around there. And, um, and so there is some kind of stored mu- energy in my muscles. But, uh, you know, a classic example is if I just put uh, EMG on the glute and I squeeze the glute as hard as I possibly can, um, that will score higher than if I jump, lunge, run or squat. And and there the alarm bell should start ringing for everybody uh, in terms of the validity of measuring torque in relationship to EMG because there's certainly not as much torque running through my bones, joints. Um, and yes, there is that, that argument where the dissipation of torque through different muscles of course dissipates the amount of torque going to one particular muscle and in this example uh, there is only one muscle you're asking to actively contract so that would be sort of could, could potentially be the counter argument but then you'd go back and say well then if that is the case and we're agreeing that then we sh- it's an irrelevant measurement anyway because we want to know what it does relative to all the other muscles um, so either way there's no win uh, for us um, and until we get a better way of measuring torque and torque relationships through through bones um, and, and and so you're going to talk now about how the bones or the axes of motion which are there the axes of motion then creating that is reacting to to the natural forces which create these talk this talk and then muscles respond to that i think that's the the right way around to, to discuss it rather than muscles create talk it's it's a it's a it's a gross misunderstanding of talk 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, going through the <clears throat> going through the literature and books, like we talked about yes one of the forces is acting upon the effect the talk is muscle force uh, and within the description of how muscle force affects this we've got uh, the example is used the uh, the achilles tendon so they put a force measuring device on the the achilles tendon um and then measured the amount of tendon force corresponding uh, whilst a subject was running at only six meters per second, so this isn't this isn't like our world class sprinters that are traveling at ten meters per second plus. Traveling at six meters per second um, was twelve and a half times the body weight. Um, that's a study by Claire. I don't know if I can pronounce it correctly. Give us your best shot, buddy. Uh, call me. Yeah, Al. So yeah, so they talk about the muscle forces there, but like that's that's the muscle force, but it's not done in a static environment. No. So they're referencing how much muscle muscle force can overcome. But in that example you're talking about somebody running. So within that example we have ground reaction force. As the foot hits the floor, we've got gravity. We've obviously got joint reaction force as the the weight is going to be over the over the toe. Uh, body weight's traveling forward, so that's going to affect the amount of force going through the ankle versus if the heel was out in front of us when we're walking. We've got the inertial force because the speed at which they're traveling. Well, as soon as we're as soon as we're in locomotion, the inertial force takes over of momentum. Um, and then finally, the elastic force because that foot hits the floor, those bones move. As the, those bones move, the connective tissue, the, the Achilles tendon in this case, is stretching. So that muscle force is actually just a is a reaction. It's pure. It's like the it's the last force in the chain that allows us to to continue through locomotion, but without the presence of the of the other forces, um, this reaction wouldn't wouldn't occur. Yeah, I think that's very very interesting, and I think that's sometimes where where us guys who who do spend a bit of time on on the science and and, and such things, where where perhaps we we don't always put the four the four corners of the table together we don't always sort of build the table we sort of sit in sit in and around different places and and, and we're quite good at researching elements of of movement or sport or science or whatever it may be we're not we're not often that great at saying right well, how does all this co coexist and how does it all to go together i think one of the classic examples on that is uh, length tension studies being tested all pretty much all length tension studies which were done and, and, the, and the, the major papers were done in the 60s on this um and they've not been questioned well enough since because we're classic they're all done in isometric contraction they're all done by okay let's create a new length and then let's test an isometric strength there which which essentially is irrelevant to dynamic motion um, and then we're sort of we're going well, if your start point is incorrect where should how can your end point be correct without without luck um and, and and yeah, I think that having it the wrong way around. This isn't a classic example where where it's been where it's been misunderstood. Is we've studied muscular contraction, 
um, and we've studied sort of even to the point I'd like to at some point discuss that a passive muscle contraction and uh, and having that there's no chemical change so therefore we're going to call passive muscle a passive a passive uh, contraction um, it's 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 very it's very flawed science which we'll do on another podcast but but having the understanding of muscular contraction on one side of the table and then having an understanding of the physical laws and, and biomechanics on the other side of the table and and what tend, what, what frustrates me massively are these two guys they, 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 they're not talking together as much as they need to be talking together um, they're not um, if we can see from the biomechanical studies that, that these forces initiate motion this is what starts motion. Bones start to move. Uh, the torque, or the, the, the let's let's define the torque as the final energy. Um, everything you've, all the forces that you've 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 very well described very well come together to create a, a number, uh, a number or a speed or or, or, or a torque uh, traveling through the body, and that then is then proprioceptively understood within joints. Um, and then the proprioceptively understood within joints is proprioceptively understood with muscle as the elastic force is happening. What is, we have to ask what is happening. Um, the, elast- the elastic forces are happening, but they're not just happening. There's, there's a communicative feedback loop and the muscle is sensing, you know, the muscles are sensing that they're getting longer. The joints are sensing that there's more stress. They're sensing that there's a, a, heat, a, a temperature change. They're sensing there's a change in pressure. They're sensing all of these things at once. And that communication loop is then driven ultimately by the athlete or the person's goal. So they're trying to move. The decision of the, the decision of the athlete is: I'm going to dunk the basketball. I'm going to I'm going to run. I'm going to change direction. I'm going to kick the football. I'm going to lift the bar. I'm going to do a pull up. Whatever it may be, that's the, the that's what the overriding driver of it is. <clears throat> and so and so that that all needs to be appreciated. And that all needs to come together. Um, and we need to either work from the smaller elements back to that or we need to start with that and come down to the smaller elements it's not just good enough for us as coaches to go well that exists and that exists and it's where it's where evidence-based practice falls down because evidence-based practice unfortunately a lot of the time takes us out of common sense practice like what is this a part of you know we're just doing something because you know uh, yeah, we're doing something because it's evidenced. Where the, the where a lot of the time you say, well, "But but why are you doing it?" Even because it's evidence. Yeah, but why are you doing it? Like, tell me the reaction you're trying to create here. Try the stimulus you're trying to create within the body, and and that's where a lot of the time it falls. Down. It's not everybody that's doing it, but this way a lot of the coaches do suffer a little bit with the I'm not allowed to move outside of my box. Uh, on the same side, we, we don't want anyone to be blasé there are a lot of unfortunately there's a lot of fitness professionals out there that are just which is why this this divide is almost created between the between the anecdotal world and, and the evidence world where you've got everybody on this side saying if it's not evidence-based don't do it and you've got these guys go it doesn't really matter just throw throw exercise at it and i think we you and i are trying to sort of bring these sit in the middle a little bit with these two these two worlds um, so, so we have to have the appreciation that bones move and muscles respond to that proprioceptively, and then they create some form of muscular contraction, and that muscular contraction then overcomes the fo- overcomes the task or takes us closer to achieving the task we want to achieve. And ultimately, it's that task and that which we need to look at as coaches. Yeah, because going back to the muscle force given within the the studies, they they talk about how 
force acts upon the elbow, so the tricep will pull on the will create a force to allow the body to extend the elbow and vice versa the biceps will act to produce a force to flex the elbow obviously that's that's all based off concentric contraction and depending on where we are where that elbow is will depend on and this this doesn't occur consciously again this is all based on those external forces so we're talking about a tricep extending the elbow let's go into the the gym world of uh, standing tricep extension with your arm above your head using a dumbbell. When your when your arms above your head like that, the the force of gravity acting you are you are taking that that weight up against gravity with the the elbow. Uh, sorry, well with the with the arm in flexion above the head, and then having to extend your elbow. So the the tricep pulls on the radius to to be able to create that elbow extension. Now, that's in that position. If we then flip that around and we start at the top of a bicep curl and do the eccentric phase, the elbow is extending, but that's not that's no longer the tricep creating elbow extension. That's the bicep doing the eccentric portion of a bicep curl, and it's the bicep controlling it. So. That, that's where it crosses over into the misconception of by making it concentrically stronger against gravity I'm uh, or eccentrically in this case the bicep we're creating we're putting force through the muscle yes yes we are but when we put that into that's only in an isolated environment and again without changing our body position relative to gravity that's how the we create those reactions to allow those muscles to respond to those forces it's not me selecting to use the tricep it's the tricep is the only thing that can help overcome the force of gravity and the dumbbell acting around the axis of rotation versus um me selecting using my brain to select i'm going to use the tricep right now yeah I think that is the relevance of it. And I think that's where the coaches have to come in and, and have some sort of common sense with the application, <clears throat> the application of the, of the understanding. Um, I think, you know, going back to that, we still aren't sure exactly what loading patterns are best. Um, we still aren't quite sure. I mean, I know it's, <laughs> it's quite often stated, you know, oh, this is the best thing for this. Um, again, understand that that is just a, is just an opinion at the moment. Uh, yes, there's a lot of research done, but there's not enough done for us to come up with the answers there. What we do know is that, is, is that um, as you as you rightly say, the tricep in with with the same elbow motion. You know, if I just filmed your arm and filmed just filmed you just filmed your arm and just flipped it 360 one way or 360 or sorry not 360 180 one way 180 the other way and just showed another coach that motion all they would be seeing is elbow extension but the reaction of the muscle in elbow extension are two completely different different states the different chemical states the different neurological feeds they train two different patterns and i don't think anyone anyone's ready to argue that what you train is what you get better at i see i think you know you, i never saw anyone get better at throwing a ball from kicking a ball um and so and so if we if we agree on the sort of intramuscular or intermuscular control and coordination that we need to train the skill we need to get better at and then we put that on top of there that the tricep extension 
operating above the head and below the above the shoulder and below the shoulder have two completely different reactions on the shoulder I think at the same time then we must concede that muscular in the muscles muscles in the lower limb need to be trained based upon what we want them to do and what we want them to perform and the further away we come from that uh, and ultimately we change the relationship with talk we change the relationship with energy um and so on that side of things, I think, okay, I've sort of said we, we can't really effectively measure talk yet. Um, I've questioned the, again, EMG has has helped with a lot of things and I use it very often for myself and quote it a lot, but again, I've questioned its absolute validity. Uh, but on the other side, common sense then comes in and says, well, we can see that the tricep has a different reaction. We don't need any, we have research, we don't need any research to see there's a completely different reaction, a different neurological reaction, proprioceptive reaction in the tricep. And so we, we must then as coaches apply that uh, logic to our coaching and to our exercise selection and how we're, how we're coaching and developing athletes. I mean, it, it kind of touches on what we've done in our previous podcast on, on um, strength versus technique. Yeah, because we've got there. We had the example of the girl with the thirty centimeters over of center of mass in a front squat, um, and the fact that her knee can't travel forwards and things like that. When we look at the application of squat training, and obviously there's different techniques that are used for for strength development. The reason people do a um, a box squat trying to keep a vertical shin, they believe that the it's, it's thought that it asks for more recruitment from the hamstrings and glutes due to that position. But when we look at those bone motions, like you've now changed the center of mass. Center of mass has changed. So therefore, like that that vertical, more vertical shin is a is a huge, is a, a lot bigger torque on the knee. There's a greater torque through the knee doing that vertical shin than there actually is when we allow the knee to drift forward. So when the knee drifts forward, that the center of mass is the body's more of the body is over the center of mass. So the torque therefore is less. So the reason people get stronger by doing low, uh, by doing um, box squats isn't because of hamstring and glute recruitment is actually due to the fact that you've changed the torques going through the body so now you're effectively overcoming uh like we talked in our in that podcast you are overcoming more weight even though the weight on the bar is less um same as the girl with the the forward lean she is effectively squatting more weight because it's further over center of mass forwards um, this is just the reverse of that. Um, so it's the strength development is nothing to do with what muscles it's getting to recruit. It's the fact that you're in a biomechanically inefficient position, which then creates huge, huge torque on the body. Ultimately, your application to application of force is great. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's where we, we're coming, where we're where strength and conditioning hopefully is headed. That we're working a little bit smarter than than just the old days of put my weight on the bar uh, and try and overcome that <clears throat> and, and it comes from understanding forces and talks and I think I think as long as we're not as we started the podcast as long as we're not conceptualising it um, and and trying to I mean actually I think this is as you, as you importantly mentioned that that there isn't a sort of the muscles aren't aren't doing torque <laughs> you know the muscles aren't producing torque they're they're responding to forces that come from nature 
um, and you measure, I mean, ultimately you measure torque around an axis, which is, I'll go back to sort of, again, my, um, how I how I led off in, in the podcast with measuring the measurement point in the hip, for example, how, how inaccurate that is and how the different readings are. You know, on, on a bike, the best way of, of, of looking at measure torque measurements on a bike, the crank arm, the, the, the bit that goes through the, you know, you've got the pedal and you push and you have the, the leverage, which is usually between uh, 170 and 175 millimeters um is your push down point is your leverage and then that creates a circular force and then of course there's a a sort of a metal bar between the bike going towards the other side at the bottom in, in the bottom bracket and you can only measure the torque on that circular bracket um or you 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 need to measure it through an axis you you can't (laughs) muscles bones operate through an axis and you put a bar through that axis and you can measure torque you can measure an out but you can get a number um you don't muscles muscles are reacting to an axis a bone moving around an axis and so it's an easy way to do it it's it's, 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 it's totally inaccurate but just imagine putting a you know a table football player and you put the sort of pole between the middle um, you could measure the axes of the table football player because he has a pole through the middle. I mean, if you put a bar through the middle of my femur and, and then ask me to squat, you'd be able to measure the, the rotational axes of my femur in the sagittal plane, and that would give you a reading. Um, that reading, would then, you would then be able to say, as we talked about in the previous podcast, you'd then be able to say the, re- the total amount of force being produced is so-and-so to overcome that amount of torque. So you could say the muscle has to produce, uh, say, as you talked about, an elastic force um, and a contractile force would be would be to overcome that 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 torque measurement or that reading measurement. But the muscle isn't is not is not the muscle doesn't create the torque, um, which is which is being uh, quoted many places, unfortunately. Yeah, that <clears throat> that elastic force using the like the pre stretch yeah pre stretch mechanism. Um, there is a time constraint on how long that elastic force can be stored so if you go that the best example of using that is in a vertical jump test if you go the the quicker we create the the downward motion of the jump the more elastic force there is the more the more energy we create if we go down into that jump and hold that position that stored energy reduces. So our, our jump height is going to be considerably less because there is less elastic energy. There is some stored energy from the preload, but the time that you have been under that load is only going to affect the output, the output of being able to explode and reach a uh, jump as high as you can, which in it in itself kind of throws out the uh, why we should do any pause work within training now you're now you're throwing opinions around bud it's not like it's not like you (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's science yeah it is i mean it also also jumping on that you know there aren't other ways of um uh, yeah okay there are the there are the names or other concepts given but muscles don't contract differently they always contract through sensing some kind of length and have some kind of stored energy some kind of kinetic energy and, and that's how muscles contract and i think that's as a muscle as a muscle gets longer 
um, our muscle starts to get stronger um, and I've been misquoted on this many times before so I think it's fair enough that I just take a couple of seconds just to explain that that length tension relationships have been have been measured isometrically and the longer a muscle gets as we know through PNF stretching unfortunately what you're seeing is a, is a neurological switch off you're seeing a Golgi tendon organ um, initiating a switch off so you're losing an isometric contraction that's been when you are have a muscle under length for a long period of time as, as you as you just stated you do lose a contractile ability um, that has absolutely nothing to do with the stretch shortening cycle which is dynamic motion which which <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say it like this because it's it's too obvious, but you want to jump higher, you go further down. You know, the higher I jump, the, the, the further down I go. Um, and and you measure, you ask someone just to, to achieve a 30-centimeter target and you ask someone to achieve a one-meter target and you ask someone a one-and-a-half-meter target and you just see the depth of their of their rebound or their, their initiation and it gets deeper and deeper every time because they want to take most advantage of the stretch shortening cycle. And I don't think there's any other strength and conditioning coach in the world who, who are going to dispute that or argue that. Um, and the only time the confusion comes in is when then we bring in sort of a very, very old 1966 uh, study that says, yeah, that's wrong. The longer the, the longer there's a point where that, that goes wrong, but it's just tested isometrically um, and it's initiated with what, what is now under sort of flexibility training. Um, and so, <clears throat> so that's unfortunate that we end up with that conflict. Um, so yeah, there aren't other ways to contract a muscle. You know, there are other terms. Um, there's eccentric, there's concentric, there's passive or, or whatever way you want to do it. But but the science is just variations of that, of that way is, is that there is some energy that's been stored. And and yes, on elastic, on, on elasticity force decreases, but it doesn't disappear. Uh, and, and all what you're seeing in the isometric studies is that it's decreasing, which is why you feel like, or the, the papers present that, you look or you appears to be weaker at a longer at a longer length but but actual dynamic studies disprove that in the fact that I jump further you see a greater amount of EMG with a greater t- length with a greater length um, and now I'm using EMG in my favor if you notice um, <laughs> so so I think there's also some 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 big misconceptions there in understanding how 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 elastic forces are understood within the, within muscular contraction. There is not another way muscles are producing force. So if they're producing force maximally this way, they must also be doing it in, in the other way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that clears it up. Yeah, it does. I think it's a, a nice book. I think it's one of those ones where I think we could probably... I've got, I'm only a... 20% through my list and I can see times run out um, of things to talk about but but I think it's a hot topic and I think it's um, I think it's one of those topics that people tend to stay away from uh, or tend to have, t- tend to sort of I think I think that for me I would implore folk to go uh, go away and and actually really really follow the follow the research um follow the research trail follow the paper trail down and see where it ends with talk rather than just uh, taking my word for it or your word for it or looking at listening to other people because there's it's actually quite interesting reading and it's, there's, there's, there's actually not a lot of work done on it relatively yeah. uh, there is of course some work done to it but it's not but relatively there's not a great amount of work um, been done on it so it's quite interesting it's quite it's in, it's in its infancy yeah for sure I think I say there is just a misconception of the word that's been used right now and yeah. it's 
it's the fault of trainers well the people that are talking about it but then trainers around the world we often go into gyms and yeah I've, I've been there in the past myself where we we talk about um when we're with our clients we're we're almost trying to convince our client of our knowledge we're often talking in a language that the client doesn't necessarily understand and there is no particular need for it like all they want to know at that moment in time is is this exercise going to make me stronger is this exercise going to help me lose weight like that's all they really care about they don't need the detailed scientific explanation so you say you flippantly say a word like talk and expect people just to accept that meaning of it because you're you're potentially talking over somebody that doesn't understand that subject so yes this word has been has been misused because they're kind of assuming that i don't know uh, assuming people don't know what talk is and that's that's why they're getting away with the misuse of the word agreed sir agreed so um we uh which is why we're talking talk yeah now we better walk the walk this is true uh thanks for listening team uh great to have you um we are flying along listeners uh, uh seem to be enjoying us which is wonderful to hear thank you very very much for your support thanks for listening to us thanks for backing us up um any topics you want us to cover or talk about or go into uh, please just uh, drop us a line it'll be a pleasure to, uh, to facilitate any questions good good evening Jeffs. good evening Phil. cheers guys <laughs> <laughs>